Hi, welcome to this week's Decarb Connect podcast episode. My name is Alex Cameron and I'm the founder of Decarb Connect. This week we've done something a little bit different. Uh, Since we're in the middle of running our European event this week, we've actually taken the fireside chat with Torsten Hahn, CEO of Holcim in Germany, and Kate Height, Chief Operating Officer of the Mission Possible Partnership, and we've translated that into this week's podcast episode. So if you weren't able to attend the event, then hopefully you'll enjoy this small slice of it. If you'd like to find out more about um, the event and any of the other content that might be available, then get in touch with me, Alex Cameron, at Decarb Connect. My email uh, is on our website, and you can also find it at the end of this recording. Thanks. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us today. I'm Kate Height. I'm the Chief Operating Officer of the Mission Possible Partnership, focused on hard-to-abate sectors and how we move the needle on industrial decarbonization. I'm super pleased to be joined today by Torsten Hahn, the CEO of Wholesome Germany, who's going to share with us today some of the strategies that Wholesome is pursuing um, to really think deeply about decarbonization of their operations. Torsten, thanks for joining today. Hello, Kate, and thank you that I can be part of this. Glad to see you. So I wonder if maybe today we could kick off um, with a little more background on the size and the structure um, of Holson's German business before we look at decarbonization a little bit more detail. Yeah, so uh, Holson Germany is a, is a company where we have uh, almost 2,300 employees and uh, we are operating four cement plants and uh, three grinding stations producing uh, around 5.7 million tons of cement. So we are also active in aggregates business, uh, providing 17 million tons of materials to our customers coming out of uh, six quarries and 22 sand and gravel pits. Out of this, we produce in our own uh, ready mix plants. We have uh, around 80 uh, 80 ready mix plants and we provide our customers with around 2.6 million cubic meters of concrete. So that's more or less uh, uh, wholesome Germany. That's wonderful. So there's a lot of complicated operations you've named in there. So you have a lot on your plate and a lot to think about when it comes to decarbonization strategy. Can you tell me a little bit about some of the targets that Wholesome as a company has signed up to and what approach the German business is taking to try to reach some of these? Yeah, on on group level, we are really proud uh, because uh, this week is uh, the first anniversary of our net zero pledge we did uh, on group level last year. So we set our targets according to the one and a half degrees climate goal. And for us, it's important that we have these clear targets signed uh, and checked by uh, and validated by the science-based target initiative. So what we aim for is really to be completely transparent on our targets until 2030. That means that we want to cut on group level, we want to cut our emissions on CO2 compared to 2018 by more than 20%. That's what we see on group level. Uh, Holzem Germany itself, uh, we see ourselves on the forefront. So we want to inspire the group uh, as we are already uh, today on cement, CO2 per ton cement, lower than uh, the target uh, we want to achieve on a group level in 2030, because uh, we have a very low uh, clinker factor. We, we use a lot of uh, other raw materials. Uh, and uh, 
we want to be in, in the future. Uh, we want to have, uh, first of all, the biggest lever, want to have to run uh, the first climate neutral cement plant uh, in uh, northern Germany. We are really focusing on that project. This will cut our emissions by roughly 1 million tons, which is a, a huge step for us. It's uh, roughly one third of our scope one emissions. And uh, on top of this, we have uh, several initiatives uh, that to, to further reduce our emissions. Uh, for example, we are at the moment, we are working out to have more demoli concrete demolition waste in our cements and also in our aggregate business. And uh, we see this uh, as a huge opportunity on uh, circular economy, but also the crushed demolition waste, especially concrete waste, uh, they has a huge impact because concrete can recarbonate. Uh, and by doing this, we can store CO2 in the crushed materials, and therefore we can produce aggregates which are climate negative or CO2 negative on this. That's, that's for the scope one, which is very important for us. This is the biggest chunk. But on top of this, it's also on energy. energy. We are having uh, signed the first PPAs, so power pro procurement agreements. Uh, in northern Germany for green energy, and we will do much more that we come to 100% uh, and uh, to cut the scope two emissions. And uh, on scope three emissions, which is also important for us, the transportation, you name it, we have a lot of material we bring to our customers. Uh, we do at the moment, we have uh, uh, truck driver trainings for eco drivers and we have a one joint venture partner who is very keen he's optimizing the whole truck system uh, it's completely modernized and compared to ordinary trucks we see that we are able to cut emissions by 20% without uh, having all these uh, coming uh, technologies like electric car uh, electric trucks or uh, trucks running on uh, hydrogen. So this means uh, on scope three, 500,000 tons, we are already reducing them by nearly 100,000 tons just because of the latest technology and a very good truck driver training. That's wonderful. It's really encouraging to hear you talk about how you're really looking at all the different pieces of your value chain when you're approaching decarbonization. Because as you know well, um, being a cement and concrete manufacturer, this is something that is super, super key to considering really both your scope one, scope two, and scope three emissions as companies are thinking through their strategies. I'd love to dig a little deeper um, into helping our audience learn a little bit more about what this concrete neutral cement plant is that you're planning planning to build and, and what does that technology look like? And, and do you think that this is something that is potentially gonna be scalable and, and Wholesome's operations throughout the world? So first of all, if, if we talk about uh, the CO2 emissions of a cement plant, you have to learn that uh, we have some la something like unavoidable CO2 emissions. What is unavoidable CO2 emissions? And this is uh, quite unique that you find in cement plants. Uh, while we are burning uh, the limestone, uh, there is CO2 coming out. That is a chemical process and we are not able to, to reduce this. That's a chemical equation. That means uh, that uh, two thirds of our CO2 emissions come out of these chemical process. And that brings us to uh, the topic that we have to sequestrate 
our CO2. So we are not able to like, like if you use the burning process, we can optimize and we can really run on, on a climate neutral burning process. But this we never, we, we always have to get out of our system to sequestrate. And there are two strategies. One is to store the CO2 and one uh, strategy is to make use of this uh, material of CO2. In our case, we want to make use out of this means in our case that uh, we have a unique uh, uh, opportunity because we are close to the Northern Sea in Germany located with the plant. And therefore we have a lot of green energy available uh, by offshore windmill farms. So we get the green uh, energy going to electrolysis, uh, producing hydrogen. And in our special case there is also, if you produce hydrogen, you have uh, oxygen also available. This oxygen we will use in our cement plant. And uh, by doing this, uh, burning the process with uh, oxygen, we are, it's easier to sequestrate our CO2 and the concentration uh, in, the, uh, in, in, in the waste is uh, already uh, above uh, 95%. So then we have really clean CO2 and with this CO2 and with the hydrogen together, we can go into methanol synthesis. So we do, we produce methanol out of this and with the methanol, you're able to produce, for example, kerosene, so green e-fuels, or you can go by olefins and then you have, can produce plastics. So it's really up to us. So in the, in the beginning, we will produce more uh, green fuels, but on the long term, we see that uh, maybe green plastics are more the idea of what we want to do. But that's so interesting. It's sort of a, an industrial hub of a number of different materials that you, you're forming with your carbon neutral plan. That's really exciting to hear. Um, Something that I have noticed in my conversations with companies over the past year is this sort of increased sense of urgency in the C-suite um, for companies to start paying attention to decarbonization in a real way and a real request for solutions that are available. It sounds like you guys are pretty advanced in thinking through some of the solutions that you can apply in different parts of the, your supply chain. Um, tell me a little bit about what you're seeing, um, both in boardrooms and among your peers. And are you sensing that same sort of shift in the conversation where this is becoming really a priority for the C-suite? Yeah, that's that's really a, it's getting a, a priority. So if I if I look back uh, one or two years ago in in Germany, everyone was pretty relaxed. Then the the Fridays for Future protest starts, uh, and we saw it especially in Germany. We had to the moment where there were protestants in the trees fire, uh, fighting against the lignite uh, mine in Germany. And uh, in the end, uh, our government uh, uh, agreed to step out of coal firing by 2038. So what we saw is that things moved so fast that in the beginning, everyone was a bit afraid what, what is happening next. Huh? Uh, and with the peers, for example, but also in Europe, we see uh, with Semburo, the, the European Cement Association, but also in, in, in Germany with uh, VDZ, the German Cement Association, we started figuring out what to do. And then we came up with our CO2 roadmap. So how to decarbonize uh, the whole industry. And what was good on this is that we put it into pieces. So because in the beginning, everybody said, oh, it's so big and uh, how can we do it? And then we, we started 
putting it into pieces, uh, laying out this 5C strategy, meaning how, what are the levers to reduce the CO2 and then to get uh, net to net zero. And that helps and gave, gave orientation. And that also shapes really the teams to say, so that's the next target. So cutting it into pieces, I think that was the, the, the biggest topic. And then we came back and really uh, lay down what will be the strategy for the next four years, for the five years, 10 years, and so on. And that gave us confidence, everyone, confidence that uh, we can work it out. And uh, in the end, we can get to uh, net zero. Wonderful. That's really encouraging to hear. Do you feel like that is a sort of German specific conversation just because, for example, of a lot of the advocacy pressure that's come to bear and the change in your fuel mix in Germany? Are you seeing this more widely kind of across borders as the cement industry grapples in many geographies on how it's going to face this problem? So when I look into our group, uh, I see it uh, around the world. So even if we, we, we say the, all the developed countries and in the US and so on, they are, are looking really uh, what to do and how to get uh, to net zero. We also see it in Africa. So also our, our uh, uh, colleagues in Africa are keen to reduce CO2. It's not really, uh, not only on our agenda. Of course, we see with our government, we see in Germany that it is especially in Europe and in uh, northern uh, in, in the US, it's really on the top agenda of the governments. But you see also in other countries, they want to, to do much more. Uh, and uh, in Europe, especially, I'm also a member of the European Redimix Association. I see that other countries like uh, countries in Scandinavia and so on, they're really in hurry. And they, want, they force really the, the cement industry to make a big step very fast. And it's exciting too, because some of these forward-leaning companies like you all are making the investments necessary to demonstrate it's possible, right? And this has you know, trickle-down impacts because we have an opportunity to scale the technology, to bring the prices down and to distribute it more widely. So that's super encouraging to hear. You mentioned policy um, and governments and how governments are thinking about this. Tell me a little bit about how you see the role of government and accelerating, supporting, and helping the transition happen more quickly for the cement industry. Yeah, what, what we see is uh, that that there is a high willingness to, to support us. Uh, so, and uh, they are doing so. It's on the on politician side. We see they are doing this. They want to stuff us with with uh, money and so on, so we can apply for fundings and so on. So that and that is really important because the first mover is someone who provides the first technology. It's more expensive than uh, the, the the followers. And therefore, funding is really necessary for the first movers to, to get things done. Uh, what we really need is uh, an approach in, in the governments uh, to, to be uh, open in technology. What we see sometimes is, especially when it comes to discussions on timber and so on, that is not really helpful. I think uh, all in all, it is helpful if we really talk about cutting CO2 emissions, and then it is up to the industry and the building material uh, to, to, to run for this. Uh, so, uh, of course, our task is only to reduce CO2 in our uh, product in cement and later on in concrete and in the structures. In the end, we want to reduce the CO2 in the structures. And this they should support. Uh, I think they should not support uh, special uh, uh, materials because it's, it's a race uh, to, to carbon neutrality and, uh, and this should be uh, uh, open in technology. 
besides this, what we really need is to deregulate. I think we have, uh, especially in Germany, we have uh, a lot of regulations. Permitting is uh, something where we are struggling, where it takes years for uh, to get permissions for, for things. And this day, really, we really need to get help from and so to deregulate, uh, because it's not only about money, it's about time. Uh, for example, in our project, we talk about uh, 2027 when we want to be ready. Uh, and we need to permit, for example, a CO2 pipeline, which was never done before. Uh, and that's drives us a bit, uh, so it, it, it takes us a bit nervous and therefore we need really help. Okay, that makes sense. I, you know, you mentioned um, the importance of the consumer and the importance of stimulating demand among consumers for materials that are decarbonized, sort of agnostic on where these materials are coming from. Tell me a little bit about how Wholesome is engaging in sort of a B2B way, thinking about um, buyers, private buyers, but also, are you having these same sorts of conversations with governments about potentially putting procurement requirements in place for sourcing materials that governments own? Yeah, that, that's a key element. Uh, I think when we started uh, last year, we, we had our first climate neutral concrete, uh, a concrete which, which is in the end not climate neutral because uh, we have to offset uh, some of the CO2. We just want, we took this uh, as an opportunity to talk with, with, with customers, with investors and so on, to, uh, to bring it on the table. Because a lot of people were not aware about CO2 in concrete. We always believed that everybody is aware, but they were not. So we started last year really intensive conversation. And what uh, the, the biggest concern from all was uh, it will get so expensive. How can we afford this? Uh, and then we we showed them uh, very easy. The investor. So, for example, two two months ago, we had an investor planning a new office building, and we showed that on a square meter, the increase for climate neutral concrete will be uh, just one less than one percent per square meter. So you can't find it in the in the in the total bill of 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 your uh, office building, and this brings them more confident to say, okay, then I can have a dramatic uh, reduction of uh, CO2 in my my construction. But on top, the increase of pricing is really uh, very low. It's uh, less than the inflation rate we see at the moment. Yeah, and that's super encouraging to hear. And I would love to see that message more widely propagated. I mean, I think that we hear this for a number of different building materials, steel included, um, the ability to really um, not even see on your balance sheet so much um, the, the use of these materials in your buildings and how it's really sort of readily available today. Um, the demand side is clear to me. I'd love to understand a little bit more about kind of the finance side of things. Are you finding large-scale capital is available to you for the types of progressive projects you're pursuing? Do you find that investors are taking a closer look at you and giving you more priority because you're pursuing some of these strategies? Yeah, that that's uh, uh, really coming up. So we we see first of all we see uh, with with a higher CO two price. So we are not against high CO two prices because this makes things moving. Huh? So we believe with a high CO two price. Uh, the transition into uh, decarbonization starts much earlier and uh, it brings the, the money back much earlier. So the repay of the high investments are really uh, getting up because otherwise you have to invest in uh, high CO2 certificates, which doesn't make sense. 
and therefore, it's also the green investors. So we have a lot of green investors looking around because there's a lot of money uh, which have to be uh, put for uh, uh, green uh, investments in the future. So we have really a lot of like insurance companies coming up and say, how can we be part of your project? Uh, because we need to uh, have a green finance and we see that they, this is possible. Uh, on top of this, as I said, uh, we are also applying for fundings from the governments and we see that also for the first movers, the governments and the European Union uh, is uh, making fundings available for us. Uh, and this is also so in the end, it makes we, we are able to make it happen as a first mover. I think it's it's really exciting to hear that. You know, I have a number of colleagues who work on the finance side of things, and similar to what we're seeing within corporations, there's a real awakening that's happening right now. And investors are sometimes saying we can't find enough green projects to invest in, right? So I think that's really exciting to hear. Can you tell me a little bit about, you know, sort of speaking with my civil society hat on here? Um, one of the things that there has been um, some anxiety in civil society about is okay, there's all these companies who are making these commitments and they're saying they're doing these cool things, but how do I know it's actually happening? And I'm a big believer in you know, being able to demonstrate through data that you are making progress. Mm -hmm. So how is Wholesome thinking about its ability to not only um, you know, demonstrate on the ground projects that are happening, but also be able to transparently report upon the avoided CO2 and CO2 reductions that you're able to move forward. This is a, the, 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 a part of our ESG reporting system. So it's also that we are really, it, we, we, we do have an ESG reporting, which is quite transparent. And as I said, our uh, uh, net zero pledge uh, supervised and validated by uh, the um, the, the science-based target initiative. And this makes it so we, we, we really want to have uh, external auditors looking at our figures that we are really full, fully transparent because we also need to tr provide this transparency because the, the highest interest at the moment is our, from our investors in our shares. Uh, they want to see where they are investing and which shares they are investing. And therefore our shareholders have a high interest uh, really to see this transparency. So that is really uh, what, what is driving us that we really are quite transparent on all our figures. Thanks, Torsten. And thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I think that the concrete and cement sector is just such an interesting one that is ripe for opportunity and transformation um, in the near term. So this is very exciting to hear your perspective here. I'll sort of leave us with kind of a closing question. You know, if you could go back five years and think about talking to your leadership team about what is to come in terms of decarbonization strategy and how they need to think about decarbonization, what would you offer to them that would help them really accelerate that work and make an impact in a shorter term? Yeah, I think uh, when, when, I, uh, when I look back, I think that the, the first thing is uh, go out and look for partners. Huh? So what we, we learned is that we are not alone in, in, in this industry and also in our sector. So going looking across the sectors. 
So don't uh, go in your office and, 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 and just focus on your company. Look what the other uh, sectors are doing. Huh? So in our case, what we saw is uh, the, 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 the offshore windmill uh, farm, they have uh, pr produced a lot of uh, green energy, but they are not able to bring it to the grid. Uh, so they had really a huge problem. They wanted to invest in more offshore windmill farms. Or we saw the refinery. They, their problem of the refinery was that the aviation industries asked them for green fuels. And they said, how can we provide green fuels? We have no nothing in common. And then we came together and we say, I have to decarbonize you uh, and we make uh, uh, green fuels out of this. And that was the solution. So the solution is not only in your company, go out and look and you see also with startups and so on, this so much going on outside. So go outside with the teams and don't uh, get in your office and, and just see how that is so hugely, uh, we are not, it's not solvable to, to decarbonize. I think really get help from the outside. Uh, and that is really inspiring. Also, what I see is if you start uh, uh, your transformation that really brings up the best out of your teams. So my team is really every day now, they're so curious to, to decarbonize, to find projects, to, to go ahead, uh, like logistics, to optimize logistics with digitization. So they see the whole picture and it really transforms the whole company. It gets much agile, much more agile. And in the end, it, it's gets getting more profitable. So it's also that it is really uh, uh, something which makes a huge difference to the company. Well, Torsten, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts today. And you're a true ambassador for this industry and for decarbonization of industry writ large. The value chain support that you're really talking about and going out and talking to your peers, not only on the demand side, but the supply side as well, right? And thinking about how you can partner up to pilot solutions that we can then hopefully scale in this decade is super encouraging. So thanks so much for your time. Um, and I hope that everyone very much enjoys Decarb Connect. And I'm super grateful to have the opportunity to be with you today. Take care. Thank you, Kate. Bye. Many thanks for listening to the Decarb Connect podcast. We work with clients across the industrial sectors, specifically those who are tasked with decarbonizing the most energy intensive products and materials that we use every day. If you have an interest in uh, learning more about either our members network our reports or our event series, do get in touch with us at decarbconnect.com. Or if you'd like to take part in the podcast, email me, alex at ac at decarbconnect.com. Thanks for listening.